pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. I am Chris Trapasso. And I first need to apologize for last week's episode that kicked off the start of the off-season schedule at the Prospect, never populated on Apple or on Spotify. Here at Blue Wire, we are using a new podcast management system. I wasn't aware of that yet, but from here on out, every Wednesday morning during the off-season, you will be able to find a new episode of the Prospect Podcast on Apple, Spotify, anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. If you check back late last week on my Twitter account, I tweeted out the simple cast link to the prospect podcast. It was a little philosophical or actually today's is philosophical. That one was a little more of a fun exercise on the retired players that I want to see come back and play a new position just like Tim Tebow and just like Brandon Jacobs suggested he could do from going from running back to edge rusher. How awesome is that if we actually see a Brandon Jacobs return? So I gave the five players. I think I would not only want to see do it, but I think could reasonably at least not look out of place in training camp. But it was more fun than hard-hitting analysis. And I'm not going to give that today with this episode. It's more philosophical, theoretical. We'll get a good mix during the offseason of this. 2022 draft insight and rookie and second and third year player um, analysis heading into the 2021 NFL season. And today's episode is all about how I have started to change my thinking and evolve as a draft analyst when it comes to a team acquiring a star player and giving up a lot of picks and future flexibility with money to do so. For the longest time, I was the biggest proponent of teams trading back and not paying their expensive 24, 20, or 25, 26, 27, 28, 29-year-old star, or maybe even a star into his 30s, because the way to, in my head, the way to sustain success at the NFL level long-term was to get a lot of draft picks and free up a lot of cap space. And I'll admit living in Western New York and being someone that has, that closely follows the bills more than any other team. 
it was all about the rebuild for almost what 20 years in Buffalo. And now the Bills are a Super Bowl contender. And they got to that contender status partly because they made a very expensive and very bold trade to acquire Stephon Diggs, who led the NFL in receiving yards last season. But what really got me thinking about this was not that, was the Julio Jones trade, and that Julio has now been involved in two huge trades in his career, the first of which came on draft night in 2011 when the Browns traded way back, the Falcons traded way up, and famously, or I guess if you're in Cleveland and you're a Browns fan, infamously, the Browns basically got nothing out of it. Brandon Whedon was part of what they ultimately received in terms of draft picks in the Julio Jones trade. And the Falcons got 10 years of Julio Jones. To me, a first ballot Hall of Famer. They were up 25 points in the Super Bowl four years ago. Perennial playoff contenders in the NFC, large or largely due to the presence of Julio Jones on that roster. And then now he goes from the Falcons to the Tennessee Titans. Second and a fourth, the Titans also receive a sixth-round pick along with Julio. And I feel differently about it because I really think that today we're in an instant gratification society, and it is very important if you are running an NFL team, if you're an NFL head coach, a GM, to win now, unless it is very, very obvious that you're the one of two to maybe three teams that is nowhere close to being even in playoff contention, that you do need an offseason or maybe two to rebuild. And I look no further in terms of even how short a rebuilding process is really, quote unquote, allowed to be in today's NFL than the Miami Dolphins. They were the team that was tanking, that a lot of NFL media and fans borrowed that term from the NBA after witnessing what the Philadelphia 76ers did, what a lot of teams were doing in the NHL. And look, two, three, four years ago, the Dolphins are tanking. They really want to tank. They're tanking for Tua. Then they win five games two years ago. And then last year, they win double-digit games and were on the cusp of the playoffs in Week 17. So even that team that was the epitome of a team that was rebuilding and tanking took one year to really rebound and become a contender, which I truly believe they are, in the AFC in 2021. And beyond Julio, I also ran across, I was thinking about the Julio trade and then how I've gone from leaning, and actually not just leaning, being a big advocate for teams to not be afraid to unload a star to get those extra draft picks. But, and how I've kind of shifted into thinking, hey, if you can get a star player, it's as simple as you get a star, you get two, three good years out of him, great. Don't worry about the draft picks. And that's coming from a draft analyst that is still understands that, hey, if you have eight, nine, 10 picks, that's good. Because even the best scouting departments are going to hit on 20 to 30% of their draft picks. And I think it's smart to not be arrogant as a draft analyst or as a scouting department or as a GM and think, hey, I'm going to hit on more than anyone else has throughout history. 
But you obviously, with that line of thinking, you want eight, nine, 10 picks to hit two or three of your draft selections as opposed to three or four. And I get, yes, every team is in a different situation in terms of where they feel they are uh, in terms of winning. Are they maybe an eight or nine win team? Can they maybe win the division? Can they maybe make a Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl? But I think you, in today's NFL, you need to try to be winning now. And I also, as I'm thinking of this Julio stuff and thinking, hey, what am I going to talk about on the prospect? Let's go philosophical. I see a tweet that resurfaced from April 2020, right after, right before the draft. Or right after the draft, I should say, last year. That re- was like recycled. It was quote tweeted by someone and it popped on my timeline of what happened in the aftermath of the Khalil Mack trade in 2018. So this is everything that this person laid out on Twitter that what the Bears got and what the Raiders received in that Khalil Mack trade right before the 2018 season. The Bears received Khalil Mack, his big salary, Cole Komet, their second-round pick last year at tight end spot, and a day-three selection, Arlington Hambright, the offensive lineman. The Raiders, on the other hand, received Josh Jacobs, Damon Arnett, the corner, Brian Edwards, the wide receiver, and then the cap space that allowed them to sign or extend Darren Waller, who is an elite tight end, Rodney Hudson, Trent Brown, Tyrell Williams, and LaMarcus Joyner. Woof. But what's fascinating about that, Rodney Hudson, Trent Brown, Tyrell Williams, and LaMarcus Joyner, none of them are on the Raiders roster anymore. So they got 2018, 2019 for some of those players, and 2020, on the Oakland and Las Vegas Raiders. And then I looked up the win-loss record. I knew that the Raiders haven't made the playoffs in a while. But looked at the win-loss records since the Khalil Mack trade. The Raiders are 19-29 and 29 in the regular season. The Bears 28-20 and 20 with two playoff appearances. And I get the playoff appearances... You could say, well, hey, they went eight and eight back to back seasons. One year they didn't make the playoffs. Last year, with the seventh team added to the playoff bracket, the Bears sneak in. And I'm certainly not someone that believes in edge rusher wins, that Khalil Mack was winning games for the Chicago Bears. But the defense has been a top 10 defense in football outsiders DVOA since Khalil Mack got there. And he is an elite defensive player. He's another one future hall of famer. And that's with even stretches like in 2019 and last year where people were like, Oh, is Khalil Mack that good anymore? Yes. He's very good. He is an elite player. He has not stopped being an elite player in his entire NFL career. It's certainly since he's been in Chicago. So you look at the Julio Jones trade in 2011. You look at the Khalil Mack trade. You look at what the Bills, they gave up a lot to get Stephon Diggs, and they're paying him good money. They go 13-3. and They're four losses overall last year. Two to the Chiefs, one to the Titans, and on a Hail Mary to the Arizona Cardinals. That's it. Make it to the AFC title game. The Bears in 2018 were a missed field goal away from making it to the NFC title game. And that right there, you could say, 
hey, well, that shows that you don't go all in because you could have a kicker screw everything up for you, and then where are you? But I don't think the Bears are in a brutal situation, are they? Are are they in a worse situation right now, roster-wise and money-wise, than the, the Las Vegas Raiders? I don't think so. Are the Minnesota Vikings that much better off than the Buffalo Bills? No, they're not. They're not better off. So for as much as like half of my brain fully theoretical, analytical, and saying, as a draft analyst, I want 10, 11, 12 picks every year. There, That's half of my brain. And then the other half is you need to win in today's NFL quickly. Rebuilding processes are taking one off season. Coaches are being fired quicker than ever. Quarterbacks are being benched and released, even if they were first round picks earlier than ever, quicker than ever. Same with GMs. If you can win and if you can acquire a DeAndre Hopkins or a Stephon Diggs or a Julio Jones or a Khalil Mack, you should try to do it. Unless you are a team that went 1-15 in the year before and believe you are nowhere close to even sniffing the playoffs. But it is kind of funny. Two years ago, three drafts ago, but two years ago, 2019, the San Francisco 49ers had the second overall pick. They drafted Nick Bosa. They get to the Super Bowl that year. And sure, that's a little bit of an anomaly. We're not going to see teams go from number two overall to the Super Bowl very often. But I just don't think we are in a point in today's NFL where it is always push ahead to the future. Let's be, let's get as many roles at the table as we can in the draft and hope that these low cost players ultimately turn out. And that's with fully understanding about where, in terms of percentages, the amount of draft picks are going to turn into good players. The one problem that I think with 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 player draft cl- draft classes, sure, you're increasing the likelihood of you, f- as a team, finding three or four or five good players. But with that many players in a draft class, it is going to be very hard for 26 players over a two-year stretch, say if you have 13 picks in back-to-back years, to even make the roster. If you have a bunch of six and a bunch of seventh-round selections, already low-likelihood prospects that are not a high likelihood of actually making the team or being successful, there's just not enough reps for them to go around. So you're almost getting more roles at the table, but at, at that point, the likelihood is so low. What is it? Three, five, 10% chance that a sixth or a seventh rounder is going to be good. Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover 
for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. And I get it with the salary, with the rookie wage scale and the salary cap and how quarterback figures have really inflated. Running back value has certain has significantly and certainly decreased. I don't know. I, I feel differently because of where we are as a society that you have to win now. And what's funny is that a team that I'm almost describing with making a lot of draft picks every year, the Baltimore Ravens. And I think that has been the driving force from going from Ozzie Newsom their longtime GM that was, to me, the best GM in the NFL at the time, right up there with Bill Belichick, to Eric DaCosta is that their philosophy, and Eric DaCosta said this during the pre-draft process, hey, we want to make as many draft picks as possible. We understand how to kind of hack the compensatory pick formula. We're not going to hang on to a lot of pricey free agents. We're going to let them go let their contracts expire. So that counts toward the pick formula for us, compensatory. And we're going to make a lot of selections. I think if those are a bunch of third rounders and fourth rounders, great. But you're also losing even a 26 or a 27 year old. That's a good established player that there isn't a 15 to 30% chance that they're going to be good. It is 70 to 90% chance that they're going to be really, really good. And what's ironic about that is they proved how steadfast they are, and I'm talking still about the Ravens, in their philosophy of trading players or letting them work in their favor toward the compensatory pick formula by the trade of Orlando Brown, which to me could look at it from different ways. You can look at it uh, just from that perspective, building their team, thinking long term, the future of Lamar Jackson and, and his money that he's going to probably demand when his fifth year option is up or if they want to extend him before that. I looked at it as, and and there's, there's draft pick formulas and how much went back to Baltimore in the Orlando Brown trade. I looked at it as one of those, hey, don't overcomplicate this. It's usually the simplest explanation is the right one. They traded Orlando Brown to the Chiefs, the one team that Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator, one of the blitz, the blitz happiest defensive coordinators in the league, a great defensive coordinator, has not been able to solve. And the team that has represented the AFC in the Super Bowl the last two years. From that perspective, it was a bad trade for Baltimore. They made the Chiefs a better team in 2021 when Lamar Jackson is still not making a crazy amount of money. So that is another trade that's happened this offseason that I was like, man, all right, I get it. The Ravens get an extra first-round pick. They free up some money, all right. But, man, you just traded a very good offensive tackle at a premium position, someone who's not very old, that was one of your homegrown talents, to the best team in the AFC. 
at a position of weakness. We'll ultimately see how Rashad Bateman and Odafe Owe, the two first-round selections made by Baltimore, turn out. And I, I think especially Rashad Bateman will be a good player. I think Owe has at least a year of redshirting in front of him, although he is that Baltimore Ravens' bigger, bulkier, more sculpted uh, edge rusher that they like. Really no pass rushing moves. Good athlete. Great athlete. And maybe the combination of Rashad Bateman and Odafe Owe at defensive end will be more valuable than Orlando Brown. That's the thought process behind why the Ravens made this trade. If they didn't believe that, and certainly they didn't know who they were going to pick, but I think making those selections, they think, hey, we like the chances of those two players of quantity being more important or outweighing quality of one player. But man, to help the Kansas City Chiefs and and trade a player at a premium position while your quarterback is on his rookie deal seemed like, for once, the Baltimore Ravens were not operating with the best practice. So I'm really interested to hear what my listeners think about this. Hit me up on Twitter about how you feel when it comes to trading away a star player and getting a bunch of draft picks and being on the other end of it, acquiring and quote unquote going all in, but understanding that in two and three years with a lot of these contracts, you can get from out from underneath them. There will be good players coming into the draft every year. There'll be good free agents every year in March and April. I want to see what you think about this. Hit me up on Twitter at Chris Trapasso. You can just leave a comment on the Prospect Podcast on Apple. Uh, if you have a strong opinion either way, if you agree or disagree, I'd just love to have some more discussion about this. And that's really another thing, that just what I said. To trade for a Stephon Diggs or an Orlando Brown or Khalil Mack or DeAndre Hopkins doesn't put you all in and say, hey, if you don't win a Super Bowl this year, you're in cap hell and you have no more draft picks and there's no way for you to rebound from that. And you're going to be a team at the bottom of the NFL. I don't think that's the case. Look at the offseason that the Arizona Cardinals had a year after trading for DeAndre Hopkins. They signed Malcolm Butler. They signed J.J. Watt to a big deal. They still had a bunch of draft picks. I mean, they certainly fleeced the Houston Texans and Bill O'Brien in that trade. But I think, and certainly they're in a better situation than where the Houston Texans are, but that's, they're kind of an outlier as well because of the Deshaun Watson off the field incidents and what the future may be for him. But even if Deshaun Watson was on the field and he was the best version of Deshaun Watson that we saw, that we've seen since he's been in the NFL and they were one of the worst teams in the league last year. So, yeah, if you want to operate as a front office or as a fan or as a team and say, you know what, we are just going to go full analytics and say, we know we're going to hit on 20 to 30% of our selections if we're lucky, or that's actually kind of like the range, and we are just going to keep loading the roster with young and cheap talent. I don't think that's crazy. I think that's a pretty good foundation in terms of a mindset to have for an organization. 
and again, the Baltimore Ravens. And for years, I think the New England Patriots were the staple of teams that did that and were perennially in contention in their conference. But then on the flip side of that, you look at teams like the New Orleans Saints, the Los Angeles Rams recently that haven't had a first-round pick in the Sean McVay era. They're also perennial playoff contenders, and they've added star players to their roster that make a lot of money. I think the Rams are going to be really good this year, led by Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. They were still able to make a Matthew Stafford trade and upgrade the quarterback position when they have not been a team that's had a ton of cap space, and they certainly have not had a lot of early draft capital. Do I think that it increases the importance of your draft classes when you have a smaller one? Of course. But when we're talking again about a 15 to 30 percent, 20 to 30 percent chance of a draft pick hitting and having someone like Jalen Ramsey, where, you know, if healthy and all players can get hurt, of course, you know that if Jalen Ramsey's on the field, there is about a 90 percent chance he is going to be one of the best corners in the league. And you know that if Stefan Diggs is out there and DeAndre Hopkins, they're on the field, they are going to be really good. There is not a lot of uncertainty when it comes to those players. So I think the Atlanta Falcons, and this is a little bit of a testament to the fact that the salary cap is real to a certain degree, that they felt that they needed to move on from that $15 million plus salary in 2021. But the Atlanta Falcons, they add Kyle Pitts, who a lot of people kind of viewed as, hey, maybe he's the next Julio Jones at this tight end wide receiver spot. But they restructure Matt Ryan, push money into the future, but then trade Julio Jones. We'll see what happens. They get a second and a fourth. We'll see what those picks ultimately become and compare it to the 2021 and 2022 success of Julio Jones on that Tennessee Titans roster. We'll see who comes out in the long run better. And for the longest time, I would have predicted the team that gets the draft picks will turn out better. And in theory, I think that is still true. But I think in practice, what we have seen in today's NFL and the fact that you need to win now or you're going to be in your job will be in jeopardy sooner rather than later. When you can get that marquee player at whatever age. And to me, at 32, Julio Jones is still a marquee player. Ah, you should maybe think about it. And again, the Buffalo Bills in 2019 go 10-6, and sitting there at the 5 seed. They lose in the first round to Deshaun Watson and the Texans. A good team, not a great team. They had Stephon Diggs. He connects with Josh Allen. Even during COVID in Florida, they get a connection. They go 13-3, and the second highest scoring offense during the regular season in the NFL, and we're a game away from the Super Bowl. And also, to circle back one more time on that Khalil Mack trade, I don't think today the Chicago Bears are worse off, even into 2022 and 2023, having to trade up for... Justin Fields, I don't think they're in a worse spot than the Las Vegas Raiders are. Both in 2021 when Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, and 
ironically, John Gruden and Mike Mayock probably need to win now or in 2022, 2023, next couple of years, four or five years after the Khalil Mack trade. So again, hit me up on Twitter at Chris Trapasso. I'm on TikTok at Chris Trapasso, Instagram, all the social media networks besides uh, Snapchat. I kind of use that for personal reasons, sending videos of my daughters to my wife during work. Hit me up there with your thoughts on how you feel about teams trading away star players, knowing full well that draft picks and getting extra selections is valuable and comparing that to getting a Julio Jones or a Khalil Mack or Deshaun Watson. We've seen a lot more trades of marquee players, premium players at premium positions over the last two to three to four years in the NFL when we really didn't see a lot of those in many off seasons or during the season. How do you feel about that now? And that might be similar to me with the Bills uh, and the team that you follow the closest. It might sway your opinion on that, but take a step back and think what makes more sense and in terms of winning now and long-term stability of a franchise. I think it is important when it comes to draft evaluation to constantly be evolving on what you want from a player or a quarterback, what you don't need from a running back, what you need from a safety, his versatility, the size of linebackers, that changes every year. So recently, with the Julio Jones trade going down, seeing the tweet about Khalil Mack, witnessing what I witnessed with Stephon Diggs and even DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona, and forgive me if I'm forgetting a, a another huge trade that has gone down with an NFL superstar recently, but and then Orlando Brown this offseason, but I, I have evolved in my thinking, going from strictly being a firm supporter in Trade away the player, get the picks, get the money. That is the way to be good over the long term. And maybe that still is. But maybe the way to be great and win a Super Bowl, get a first round bye as the number one seed in your conference, and then take home a Vince Lombardi trophy to win that Super Bowl is to have more superstars on your roster. All right, that'll do it for me today. I'm Chris Trapasso. Again, remember to get to the Prospect Podcast. Rate, subscribe, review. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast.